Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're with us. If this is the first time you're listening to Talking Money, just a quick reminder, this is not a sales show. So we are not selling anything. We're here to give information, try to make your life a little easier from a financial standpoint. Today, we're going to be talking about some personal financial lessons, personal finance lessons uh, heard from a number of different financial and investment people across the country. The Wall Street Journal posted an article on January 24th, I think it was. And yeah, January 24th. And I read through that article and said, well, this, these are some good ideas, good reminders for all of us uh, in the in the personal finance area that I think would be good for us to review. And it's probably going to take us this week and next week to cover all these things. But some great information. Before we get to that, I want to give you a quick update. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about this NRIA, and we've heard some of these ads on NRIA from the main um, – the main headliners all week long, the main syndicated uh, hosts that are on this station. I haven't heard one the last couple of days, so it may have stopped. But um, the NRIA, it's a real estate firm. They looks like they um, buy and build real estate, rental properties, and so forth. And they've been talking about giving you 10% a year, 10% a year return uh, and upwards bonuses to 18 to 20%. And that always raises a, a yellow, usually a red flag for me. I said, okay, what's up here? And why do they... Uh, want to advertise that way and share with this people why why would the somebody that's making that much money why do they need to advertise on the radio to get people to invest in this because uh, typically an investment that that is that good you're gonna have plenty of people with plenty of money large sources that they could fund this whole thing easily so why are they coming down so i'm a little suspicious but you know you don't know I don't know for sure if it's if it's legitimate not legitimate so I contacted them I contacted and said I forget what I asked them but I said something about is this for accredited investors only which I knew it was from some of the things that I'd read uh, and just inquired about some interest in learning more about this firm so I got an email back and this was actually back uh, January 8th that's that's when I first made this inquiry January 8th and the reply from them said, "Thanks for your inquiry and in learning how to invest with NRIA. One of the rep- one of our representatives will be calling you within one business day." And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. So far, have not heard from anybody. So then, this yesterday, I think it was. Uh, I'll turn the page and see. Uh, this was on February the third. So on Wednesday, I received an email. This is on my personal email. It's not coming to my my office email just to me personally it gave me a construction news update so i thought it was kind of interesting why am i getting this when i haven't even talked to anybody yet so this anthony ulysses ulysses uh how do you pronounce it tony it looks like he goes by um put this thing together and it shows a bunch of different property that they have and where it is in the process of being completed and so forth. I didn't print this whole thing. I was like 15, 18 pages. Uh, I just printed a couple of main pages. Um, so it, and as far as I know, that's all legit. Uh, as far as I know, that's it's property that they actually do own, but I don't know anything about them. And a way of checking out to see, because believe it or not, some people do misrepresent what they do. Now, I'm not saying this company does. They, they, like I said, this may be perfectly legitimate, and that's fine. But one thing I want to caution, one is the return. You know, always want to be a lot more cautious when somebody's given those kind of returns as a way of getting you in the door to get your money. And the other thing is that even if this is all legit 
And they've had good success up to this point where they've been able to take these real estate purchases that they've made, rented them out, sold them ultimately, and gotten this kind of return. Then the more new investments they get, so the larger they get, what's that mean? That means they have to find new investments, new real estate to do just as well as the ones they've done in the past. So even if they've done 10%, 18% in the past, to say, yes, we're going to be able to continue to do this going forward is the part you got to be so careful about. And I'm sure all the the legal documents that they send you says that because most of the time when it's an investment for accredited investors, which this is for accredited investors, so you have to have larger net worth, larger income, and so forth. So most people listening to me today aren't even going to qualify. Most people listening to the national syndicated hosts like Mike Gallagher and so forth, they're not going to qualify for this anyway. You have to be an accredited investor. But those always say they have big caveats in there that says there's no future. You may lose all your money. There's no promise for future gain and so forth. But then all the glossy stuff looks like it's it's uh, something that is, wow, this is great. Why would I want to try to get, even if I get you know half that 18%, I'm still doing pretty well. But it's harder for somebody to do that. It's the same thing that happens with a, a mutual fund. So I've seen it happen with mutual funds. It doesn't always happen, but it, it does uh, frequently where a mutual fund is smaller. It does really well. It, it buys stocks has a great track record and and has even a five, maybe even a 10-year track record that's really good because they haven't grown. And once those returns hit the mainstream media, hit the Morningstar, hit the where they're getting the accolades and so forth, then a bunch of money starts pouring in. Well, people don't think about that. If a bunch more money pours in, what does that manager have to do? He's got to find new stocks that are going to be performing just as well as those other stocks that he bought that gave him the return. Well, now he's got twice as much money to do it with. So it just logically makes it harder for some of the larger they get. It makes it harder for them to repeat the returns they've had in the past. Some have done it, but I've seen more that have not than I have that have done it. So you just want to be really, really careful in looking at the size of a particular mutual fund. Now, if you look at an index fund that's just replicating the S&P 500, that's not the same thing. Uh, you, there are more cautions that you have to be aware of for those. But just be be careful, especially with an active manager and even some with some funds, that you got to be careful what that return's been made, what's made up that return up to this point, and what is going to be the potential of them to repeat those returns going forward and one other thing i wanted to mention i've seen a lot of this happening so i'm on facebook now and my my wife and daughter are, have been on facebook and they see a lot of postings and there's even a lot of christian folks so those who claim to be christians that are showing a lot of fear these days and whether or not it's just because of joe biden becoming president or other things they're hearing but there's a lot of right wing i would say right wing conspiracy type theories out there that people listen to and they they come across so convincing that it's easy to get caught up in the fear of a catastrophe about to happen but you have to be careful about those conspiracy theories. I've been in this business a long time, and I've heard a lot of conspiracy theories over the years. Now, we may be finally getting to one time where one comes true, uh, but I doubt it. But I think we just need to be careful, especially if you're a Christian. Because I'm going to make a comment here, and Ron Blue said this before, and I've heard others say this before, that Christians can't have faith and fear. You can't have faith in God and know God's in control and then have fear. The, the two just don't mix. You have to have stronger faith if that fear is overriding that 
that faith, you need to have stronger faith. So Christians and believers especially need to be very careful about what they listen to. Most of you probably would be better off, just like I I suggest all the time, people getting off the TV and watching these talking heads on CNBC or even Fox Business News, whatever it is, that these they come in and they give all these great ideas of why things are going to go one way or the other. And I don't think you should. The truth is always, almost always, somewhere in between all those. You got to be so careful about that that you have to be careful on these conspiracy things too. When you see them out there, that you got to remember that that even though they might sound convincing and they have great reasons for it there's just as many reasons why some of that's not going to happen even tied an investment management group that uh, i have a lot of respect for have some personal investments with um, but they they gave their summaries this past uh, week or so talking about what the indicators are doing and they're saying the leading economic indicators are all positive the valuation indicators which are where prices are now versus earnings typically they're they're essentially neutral but sentiment they're saying is negative so what's and it's interesting because they say there's a bullish sentiment from retail investors right now which of course is a contrarian indicator so in contrarian contrarian indicator means that okay if most of the people are bullish that means it's probably negative and we're gonna have a bearish or a downturn time now a lot of the people i'm talking to are not bullish and i i get and maybe the only ones i hear from whether it's clients or radio listeners are those who are concerned about where the prices are and so forth and they're they're ready to get all any cash or something like that which you have to be really really careful and i've talked about that numerous numerous times and we're going to talk some more about that as we get into some of these personal finance lessons that were posted in the wall street journal of course i use that as an outline as a way to give their thoughts and of course i'll i'll edit and give my my backup thoughts uh and to either agree or maybe even add some to what they have uh, mentioned in, in their report. So we'll get to that when we get back from the break. So there's some, so, and I think one more thing before we get to the break, which we're already past time for, is that when you're, when you're more concerned about what's going on in the economy, some of the best things you can do is pay off debt, reduce the debt, pay off the debt, especially the short-term debt, mortgage sure that's usually your lowest cost debt but certainly the other debts that you have that do you want to get rid of because that gives you more flexibility gives you more peace of mind when things are not going well because you can really dial down your standard your cost of living uh, pretty easily when you don't have to worry about the debt payments that that works out pretty well and then keep a good reserve fund which we'll talk more so about as we go through this hour as well but that's primarily more important if you're going to need the funds you need it for income you need it for some particular event that's going to happen in your life in the next six months a year two years the the size of the reserve fund is dependent on what your needs are especially on the short-term basis okay a couple of thoughts here before we get into the personal finance lessons we can all learn from the year of COVID 19 we'll get into that when we get back from this break we'll be right back Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. 
If you're a business owner, the business consulting division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. You're listening to Mike Miller. That phone number that I just gave in that, that little spot, 800-588-7526 is the number if you want to give me a call sometime. You can call even during the weekend and leave me a voicemail. That's fine. Or just give me a call next week and I'll see if uh, is something that we can help you with. It looks like we may be a good fit and can add value to your financial situation. Or as in many cases it happens, there's a couple and the one spouse handles all the finances and there's a concern that if something happens to them that the other spouse is not going to know what to do. And you want to make sure that they're not taken advantage of. So that's a good reason to start a relationship uh, with us. Well, before the break, I was talking about the fear a lot of people have of the world coming to an end or the the economy collapsing because there's a lot of, I would say, right-wing conspiracy theorists, people out there who are, of course, trying to make, make uh, President Biden look as bad as what the left-wing side did with uh, President Trump all those years. And trying to encourage you about that, to be careful how much you succumb yourself to those kinds of theories. And the more you listen to them, the more they sound good and the, the worse it gets with your own attitude. And that can make your life worse. That as a Christian, especially that uh, realizing God's in control of these things, that we can't have fear of those things and still have faith in God. Years ago, this goes back to the 2008-2009 Great Recession time period, had a client, uh, Mary Alice Brown, uh, she wouldn't mind me mentioning her name. She's been deceased for several years now. She and her husband both were clients for many, many years. And she didn't have a ton of assets when she came in and when, when um, during that period of time. And when we were talking about just in general, the, the markets, her portfolio and so forth, and it, there was this look on her face of peace. And, and so we talked more about that. And she just said, you know, I, I have a scripture verse that I have, adhered to and held on to all these years that just helps me in times like this. And she quoted me in, in Psalm 37, it's in verse 25. It says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And I thought that was pretty cool. I've never forgot that. I forgot where it was a couple of times. I had to look it back up again, but I'd not forgotten that she said that, that she had this piece about her because I'm not worried about it. God's taking, and when you, when you understand that the money you have, all the resources you have are owned by God, they're his. You're just here to take care of them. So you want to take care of them the best you can and not out of fear. You're, you're taking care of them and being a good steward of what he has allowed you to have. And then you go back to the parable of stewards and you find out what, uh, God said about that and Jesus when he was talking about the parable of the talents and and how he wanted people to invest their money uh, but there again there's prudent ways to do this and we're going to be talking about that some more here as we as we come along so this these lessons that we have a lot of lessons they start the article off by saying they're they're um, with 2020 in the rearview mirror and the end of the pandemic fingers crossed, in sight. There's a lot of economic damage to be assessed, but there are always a lot of personal finance lessons we can learn, lessons that will put us in good stead, whatever the economic future holds. So they asked uh, at least 15, there's 15 they list here, 15 different professionals, their financial advisors, uh, wealth managers, or or 
professors, whatever they what they do, and they're in the finance area, ask them for, I guess, one lesson that they would like to pass along to people that is good. They're good lessons no matter what's happening really in the economy. So the first one is emergencies do happen. Now, isn't that a, a, an obvious one now with all the things that have gone, all the people, so many more people that lost their jobs that you wouldn't have anticipated that a year ago now things looked very good we had no idea what we were going to get into over this last year and the people that lost their jobs so emergency funds and he says uh in here and this is from uh, scott baker he's associate professor of finance at kellogg school of management at northwestern university so he's he says um that you should keep an emergency fund of at least one month of spending well, I, I guess at least is a, is one. I think you know more than that is is appropriate. And as I said before the before the break, the more income you may need in the near future, the more you want the the larger you want that emergency fund, or we'll call it your short term income bucket to be not in stocks, but in something that's going to be more stable as it goes along. So he says, uh, in addition to facing those longer term unemployment, often had to wait weeks for benefit checks to start flowing in. In such cases, having several weeks or more of accessible savings can reduce the need to undertake painful spending cuts or borrow at high interest rates to make required payments. So this is is subject to your own discretion and your own situation, of course. Uh, but having some kind of, of cushion, and I, I've seen some people have way too much cushion. And if other people that did not have enough, they just could not stand the fact of having anything in a money market account, even when the, those accounts were paying 1% or 2% and just a money market account. They just couldn't stand to have that much in a money market account. They wanted it to be invested. They had that that strong fear of missing out that they wanted to get back into it. So they kept their money invested. But that's not good either because a good investment can be a great investment can be a money market that's paying next to nothing that when your other longer term investments go down in price, and I'll talk about price and value here after the, uh, the second half of this program sometime, that that you uh, when things go down in price like they do, you don't have to sell to maintain your just basic cost of living to meet your bills each month. You don't have to do that because you got this money market account. You can let the rest ride or you have some funds available that if things go down like that, like they did last March, you have funds that you can actually reinvest and take advantage of some of those discounts and prices. So I think some of their, as I mentioned earlier, some of the things that are, are really good, basic financial principles, uh, very based in, in biblical um, concepts is to keep debt at a minimum. Some people say eliminate the debt. Um, that uh, I'm not that far down, but keep debt to a minimum, especially the short-term debt. Uh, the more short-term debt you have, the more cushion you really need to have for that. And then you've got um, the where to put the savings. So you got the savings, you got the interest rate that you have that you're going to earn on that savings versus the cost of your debt. So just from a, a pure financial standpoint, if your uh, your debt is, let's say, 4%, and you have your money in a money market or a CD that's paying 1%, now if you need that for cushion and for emergencies, then you don't want to put it toward the debt because then you don't have access to it anymore. But if it's excess cash, then it makes sense to go ahead and pay off that debt because you're going to guaranteed make whatever the difference is between the cost of your debt and what the interest is that you're earning. So if you're only earning one, but it's costing you four and a half, well, then you earn three and a half percent right off the bat. 
by paying off that, taking that 1% debt and paying off the 4.5% debt. It just makes sense. So, uh, and I've got several illustrations on that. I've had people that have had um, the rental property that had some debt on it at 4.5%, and they could take a HELOC and take that out, and it only costs them 2.5%, so they could save 2%, but then you got the risk that that HELOC may change because the interest rate is variable on that. So a lot of different things to consider when you're thinking of keeping the debt. But I think from a general safety standpoint, uh, reducing that debt is is generally a good idea, especially when there's some wild times like we've had uh, this last year. It lets you know how much that liquidity is important. We'll be back with the second half of Talking Money in just a few minutes. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I am pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust as the sponsor of Talking Money. As a trust company with clients in all 50 states, Ronald Blue Trust can serve as trustee, backup trustee, or even personal representative, what we used to call the executor or executrix. This can be a valuable service, especially if you'd like to pass on your values and not just your valuables to your heirs. Your heirs will probably have one of two perspectives. Either they will say something like, what am I going to inherit? Which is usually the common perspective. Or they will ask, what is going to be entrusted to me? What talents will I be responsible to manage? Tim Kimmel, director of Family Matters, said it well. Quote, you can't leave character to your trust account. You can't write your values into the will. You can't bank traits like courage, honesty, and compassion in a safe deposit box. What we need is a plan a long-term strategy to convey our convictions to the next generation, unquote. Estate and trust planning are about much more than saving taxes or simply making sure your assets get transferred efficiently to your children. You can find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-PLAN. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. Welcome back to Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host for today. So the topic for the day is to discuss some personal finance lessons we could all learn from the year of COVID-19 pandemic. This article is in the Wall Street Journal. I've covered just one. There's, there are 14 more listed, which obviously we won't get through all those because I talk too much about them when, I, when they come up. But the first one was emergencies do happen. Second one, we can be financially disciplined. You probably should have capitalized that. We can be financially disciplined. This was written by Lizetta Rainey Braxton. She's the CEO of 2050 Wealth Partners out of New York. And she says, the pandemic has taught us that financial discipline is possible. The restrictions on life's pleasures like travel and eating out caused all of us to rethink how much we spend on these activities. We've, we reflected on our excess in indulges and realize the value of spending moderately and saving intentionally. I thought that was very interesting the way she said that we reflected on our excess indulges. So so it's interesting that uh, that's very subject to um, a personal preference. What is an excess uh, indulging in something? And I think that's really depends on, on what your own financial situation is. Because if you have the the money to do that and uh, there again let's let's not think of you know what's a good steward what's a bad steward this is all up to the individual person anyway but 
what is excess? So if you went into debt, typically, to provide that family vacation or to do whatever it is that you normally would do that would be called an excess, an excess indulgence, then then yes, that was a bad thing. You should have been doing that. But if you didn't, it was just you had the resources and you'd take a nicer vacation because maybe you deprived yourself of years and now you're ready to take a nicer vacation, then that's okay to think about doing that because when you think about the economy and think about the people who had the hardest time with their jobs, it's the people who work in places where you might have spent your excess indulgence. So it really is something that you need to to think about and think, okay, well, yeah, I, I'm protecting myself. I'm essentially putting the mode up, but I'm withdrawing, shutting the gate and withdrawing, and we're not going to go anywhere. But that's how that you have a snowball effect on how the economy is affected and why things would have gone down so much. Now, of course, part of that was they wouldn't let you. They're not going to let you go on a cruise. They're not letting you go out to eat initially. So those were adversely affecting. So I'm hoping that once things get back to normal, whatever that is, that we would then have a lot of pent-up demand, and that's actually going to increase the growth. It's going to help the economy stimulate even better. You'll have more turnover of the cash and more people going back to work and maybe even needing more uh, workers. And, of course, you got to <laughs> – you know, you throw in this $15 an hour wage and then you say, okay, what's, what are they doing that for? And this is going to slow down everything because now people can't afford to hire anybody because they got to pay them twice as much. Uh, that's, that's a different topic. But for now you say, okay, what is the excess? Because that does help. So the economy. So then she says uh, later on the, in her statement, we also start thinking more about how we should spend our money, whether it was because of sheer boredom or a greater appreciation of life in the midst of constant COVID-related casualties. Life experiences often serve as a catalyst for changing financial habits and mindsets. So kind of interesting. Think about what habits did you change in this last year? And one of the big habits that people change were forced to change, and some of this may continue, is working from home. So I had to broadcast from my studio at the office several times because we couldn't come into the studio. Now I'm back in the studio today, so that's great. It's a lot better being back in the studio looking at Paul. We're saying, yeah, yeah, we're back. So that's good. Um, but people that are working at home are finding out, a lot of companies are finding out, well, we can be just as efficient with this these people working at home than we could when they're in the office. So why do we provide an office space for them? We don't need to. And so they may change, may sell the building they're in and downsize and get to something different. So it may affect even real estate going forward. Now, one of the things that I know in our managing directors meeting at Ronald Blue Trust last year when we were together, we talked about how nice it was to be able to get together quickly. We could do it all by Zoom. We didn't have to travel to get together and so forth, which we typically do every year. Um, and how it was so much easier on everybody's bodies because we didn't have to fly. We didn't have to get away from our families and so forth. But one of the managing directors mentioned, well, the, really the only way that worked and the only way it works in some of these other companies is because we weren't always this way. We didn't start this way. We were all together at one time. So we know each other. We've got a we, – we have a camaraderie that, that extends itself to the phone, to the Zoom call because we were together at once. But if you started on Zoom, think about how different that would be. So how is that going to affect real estate? How is that going to affect transportation? Because if more people are working from home, then you have fewer cars on the road. And I had to run to Atlanta last week to do some videotaping for the company and uh, recording and for another event that, that we're doing. 
and just going to Atlanta that was like, wow, this is pretty nice. It, it was still busy, but it wasn't busy like it was before. Now I was going at nine, nine o'clock, nine thirty. So typically rush hour is done and I didn't have to go all the way into the city. So I'm not sure how it is when you get all the way into the city, but even going as far as I went and going in some of the side roads, it just wasn't as bad as it has been. So, uh, that, that also has some, uh, bearance on, uh, the roads themselves. Will they last longer? Well, we need uh, less structural uh, input and money going into just uh, brick and mortar and an infrastructure because we have, you know, who knows? So those are some factors we need to think in mind. But um, so we'll see how that goes down the road. So that's number two. So number three, this is uh, one that I've mentioned before, and, and this is really a quote that's that is um, attributed to Warren Buffett a lot. Buy when others are scared. This was written by Peter Lazaroff, the CIO of PlanCorp out of St. Louis. The best time to invest is when others are fearful. And we've heard that before. Easier to say, really hard to do. <laughs> Everybody's fearful I'm investing. It just doesn't happen very often. We did have several clients and some new clients that came in last March because of that, which is good for them. So in March, he says, right, so being told you're in danger triggers all your evolutionary, which <laughs> I always get a kick out of that word, evolutionary. Defense mechanisms intended to keep you safe. Uh, unfortunately, none of these instinctive reactions are useful in the arena of long-term investing. There he says, long-term investing. In March, investors' fears extended well beyond their portfolios into their personal well-being. It's common to hear, this time is different. There are two things that tend to remain true of all bear markets. First, he says, Buying when the market is down at least 30% has historically been an excellent entry point for stocks. And that's usually when, and I've said this many, many times on Talking Money over the years, uh, many, many times, several times a year, I'm sure, is that if you're the kind that you're going to buy in stocks and then you'll stay in them however long you stay in them, whether doing well, doing okay, doing average, maybe even down a little bit, uh, temporarily down a little bit. But if you're the kind that when it starts to drop like it did in March, and it dropped fairly quickly. And typically, the market drops a lot more quickly than it does rebound. Even this last year, it did that. It took a little while to rebound relative to how long it took to, to go down. If you're the kind that when it goes down 10, 15, 20, let's say 30%, and then you bail out of that investment, that means you shouldn't be in it at all, or you shouldn't be in it with as much as you have in it. You've got too much in there. You can't sleep at night. Don't have that much in there. Now, I would say never get to the point where you have, you're so uncomfortable that you have nothing in it. Because long term, that's going to be what helps you with offset the risk of inflation, which is another true risk. People think about the risk of volatility, the risk of things going down. They don't think of, well, if I don't invest some of this money, like the good stewards in the Bible, if I don't invest this money, I'm not going to keep up with the cost of living and I'm actually am going to be worse off 10 years from now. You're just not going to see it because it's more of a stealth kind of risk, I call it. So so what did you, um, so he said, buy when others are scared. He says, um, so the first thing he says, he said two things that tend to remain the true of all bear markets. First, buying when the market is down is a good opportunity. Second, while all bear markets are inherently different, the common thread is that they always end and I circled that, highlighted it and circled that. They always end. Back in 2008, when I was on the radio, I had only been on for a year and a half, and things started to, to go down like that. Uh, it, it was not a real good time to be encouraging people. It didn't feel like a good time to be there, but I was still then saying, it's not going to go forever. 
It's just not going to last forever. They just don't. Now, this time it may, but it never has before, and it didn't that time either. Investors, he says, must be willing to lose money on occasion, sometimes a lot of money. He says, if you can be a buyer in times of fear, your chances of earning above average returns improve. So when he says investors must be willing to lose money, I circled that as well because I don't think that's an accurate way of describing it. It's not losing money. You just want to stay when it's going. So when your when your rate of return goes down, or even if it goes down below what you initially invested, most people that's not the case. Most people they've been in long enough that when the price goes down, not value, you're not losing money. When when the price goes down temporarily, as long as they don't sell, that they're not going to lose it. Right? And matter of fact, even if they did sell, they just lost some of their gain. They didn't lose some of their principal. And they probably still, depending on how long they invested, still better off than, it, than if they'd been in money markets or treasuries or something or even fixed income that whole time. So I've got a, a good price versus value story. Won't go into it. Don't have a lot of time. But we say you just got to be careful when when the price changes of your stock, of your mutual fund. It's the price that's changing. It's not the value. Values don't change on a, a minute-by-minute basis during the, during the day as the market goes up and down. That's because it's an auction. It's a live auction. The value is what you're going for. As long as you have good value, the price can go down and stay down for a month, two months, six months. That doesn't matter. It's going to eventually come back up to, if history repeats itself, to what its value is, which is going to mean you're going to recoup whatever that price was that went down. Be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now, back to Talking Money. We've got about 10 minutes here left in Talking Money. I want to get into as many of these different finance lessons, personal finance lessons, as uh, listed and covered in the Wall Street Journal back uh, just a week or so ago. I thought it was interesting, and so I've been covering those. Um, there are 15 of them, and I thought, okay, I can cover these in, a, in an hour, right? Maybe two hours. Well, okay, we're on number four, so we got a little ways to go before we get there. So we'll certainly continue this next week, so stay tuned. So the fourth one is Manage, manage Your Risks. It was written by Anna Maria Lusardi, who's a university professor at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., so she says the and this is uh, not not related to the investments like uh, some of the rest of them have been. The biggest personal finance lesson from 2020 is the importance of comprehending and managing risk. 
Unfortunately, this is one of the concepts of personal finance where knowledge is lowest, according to the TIAA Institute, GFLEC Personal Finance Index. Interesting. So this is something that she's talking about comprehensively managing risks. So we should ask ourselves, and this is how she defines it, does my family have the proper coverage in case of health problems, including the ones created by the virus? And in case we have a high deductible health plan, do we have enough to cover the deductible? So in that case, this is where those companies that have an HSA, a health savings account, or a FSA, a flexible spending account, it's a great way to set some money aside, uh, tax advantage, tax free, and you set it aside into an account. And the HSA, you don't have to use every year. The FSA, some you have to use by the end of the year, use it or lose it. And sometimes it's uh, some of it is carried over to the next year, which is a nice feature. But that's a good way to help cover that. So if you've got a higher deductible plan and you have access to the HSA, FSA, then then by all means, take advantage of that. So you can you can buy even if it's eyeglasses that aren't covered under your basic health plan or it's just any other kind of health situation that arises where you need to go to the hospital doctor and the deductible is so high, you don't really want to be able to have to pay for that, plus the insurance premium. Well, one way to do that, at least in a tax advantage, way to do that is to put money into the HSA and FSA plan that can even be done on an individual basis. And that's a great way to, to look at that. Then she says, and are we covered in case someone becomes disabled? This is an area that over the years that I've seen is really um, neglected and forgotten by a lot of people because it's just something you don't think about. Life insurance is something we think about, but it's not something that um, we think about for disability. And in, in reality, disability is one of those risks that is probably, from a financial standpoint, worse I mean, granted, we like to have the person here. They're disabled. We can still communicate with them, hopefully. Um, but from a financial standpoint, if, if they're not working, they're still an expense. So they still eat. They still need medical care. They still need all this stuff. Um, but they're not working. So they don't have any way of paying for that. So I've had a number of instances over the years where folks I've known that have had disability insurance, some that have not had it and or didn't have enough of it. And it really helped just from an emotional standpoint, it helps to be able to uh, get through some trying times because they felt like they were still contributing. I know of some people, this one guy, I can't remember his name now, it's been several years ago, he actually toured the country talking to insurance groups about the importance of disability because he was disabled and he felt like committing suicide because he felt like, well, I'm just not contributing anything. I'm just this drain on everybody. Then he realized, wait a minute, I've got this disability policy. He was a former doctor, I believe. He had this disability policy. He knew that if he if he did kill himself and he died, that would stop. And the amount of insurance he had really wasn't enough to offset the amount of monthly income that his family would get from the disability. So it made the disability really very, very, very important. So uh, let's see. Uh, get down here. So disability income versus life insurance, I think uh, disability probably is, a, from a financial standpoint, a, a better, uh, if you could only buy one or the other, you buy disability. And then life insurance, you can buy some fairly cheap term insurance, most of you can, to get by with that. And so and, and make sure you don't let the, la- the coverage lapse during these tough times. Uh, use your emergency fund to help keep those. I've heard of people doing that as well. They, they, they don't 
they don't uh, keep their insurance. They think, okay, I don't need that. I need to eat instead. So, um, you know, let's see what's happening and do something different than not pay. Let's not do that. Okay, so got a text that says, uh, hello, Mike, I was interested in learning uh, if to offset taxes to invest in an index annuity, life insurance policy, a minimum of 10 years, the rep says, but I would be able to pull the money out tax-free. He's also recommending a company in Delaware similar to that NRA you were speaking of earlier, but the return is more like 7% for a few properties that I was going to liquidate to them where they pay like a dividend-type income. So, yeah, the indexed annuity, and I would encourage you to go to Talking Money Radio, and I've got several shows that I spent uh, an hour talking about these, or 47 minutes, uh, talking about the indexed annuities. Um, the bottom line here, and I looked at another one, just uh, another life insurance policy. Uh, he says here, indexed annuity life insurance policy, but it's really be an indexed life insurance policy. And those that uh, the one i looked at just recently that's the way it was so they put the money in they put in over five years uh i think it needed to be seven we're still looking into that for this particular new client to see if they had to pay it for seven years uh don't don't know that for sure but you got to be careful with these because it it sounds good to pull the money out tax-free and to get a tax-free income down the road but if you look at the actual amount of money that you spend especially when you have to pay the taxes coming out of your ira first and then the net amount goes into, and you may pay the taxes with other money, but it's still the same effect. Uh, you pay those taxes and then you put the money into this account. And then you have to look and see what kind of income you're going to get out. And typically those type policies are only going to work well if you live a long time, if you and your spouse live a long time and you need the life insurance. So if there's not a need for life insurance, then I think there's less need for this, this kind of money. Uh, so I think it's just a, an expensive way typically to get a, a guarantee. Uh, it works for some people, but you got to be really, really careful and know what you're getting into to, to do these things. And then to say, I'm going to invest like this NR, is not NRA, but NRIA, uh, I know what it means, that uh, to get a 7% return on a few properties. Well, you know, that you take that money and you put it in those properties and then it's going to be um, illiquid when you put it in the real estate. So both of them are going to be illiquid some because the insurance policy is also going to be illiquid because it's got surrender charges in it that keep you from getting to the money early. And you have to leave it in there a long time. So the one I saw in the last couple of weeks was it was essentially you pay for five, leave it there for five, wait for 10. So you're waiting 10 years to start taking the money out. So you got to take into consideration the time value of money to see is it really going to work for me or not. Uh, in, in some cases it will. In many cases I think it, it does not. So hopefully that answers that question. So appreciate that that text. So manage your risk was the number four that we got into. So uh, we're not going to have time to even barely dent getting into uh, number five. Uh, the number five is you need a will. And there's a whole lot in here that we want to talk about on you need a will so that we won't uh, even get started on that. But come next Saturday for Talking Money, I'll certainly start talking about the um, the importance of having a will and a lot of other ramifications. Uh, here again, we've talked a lot about um, wills and talking money as well. So I encourage you to go to talkingmoneyradio.com and go to the listen now section and that'll get you to all the previous episodes and you can look by topic to find out which ones you want to learn more about. And it's, it's free, so I'm not selling anything. It's just my my thoughts, my opinion, and at least that may be one more opinion that, that you didn't have if you hadn't looked at those to begin with. So I encourage you to go to that. And if you have a question for me that you want to uh, have me answer either directly or on the air, 
send that to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Especially those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, not listening to it live on the radio as we are now, then that's a, a better way to get the information to me. And also, always the 800-588-7526 number. 800-588-7526 number is my number at the office. If we can help you uh, individually, if we can help you with you and your spouse, if we can help with your estate planning, tax planning, investments, uh, just talk to us. We'll decide, help decide whether or not we're a good fit for you because we're certainly interested in only working with people that we feel like we can add value to. So 800-588-7526 is our phone number at the office. Have a great week. We'll see you next week for the next Talking Money. Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested.